Welcome in to another edition of the Daily Tap for Tuesday. Hope everybody is doing well. We are going to talk about the Green Bay Packers as the best team in the NFL. Get used to it. The boys are back. We are going to also talk about the star ratings from the Packer game on Sunday. I didn't give that to you guys yesterday, so we will do it on Tuesday. We're going to also talk about falling in love with college basketball yet again. Falling in love with any sport. After a tumultuous period, I was at the Marquette-Illinois game with Marquette upsetting Illinois, and we'll chat a little bit about that uh, at the tail end of today's show. But I want to start with the Green Bay Packers and the crowning of them as the top team in the NFC. This NFL season has been a very weird one. It Every week, it changes. It turns a direction that we don't expect it. I think the cliche term is go home, you're drunk. And that is very commonly said on the Twitter streets about the NFL. Because we don't know what to believe is true after weeks where the Rams have tripped on their dick for the second straight week. They've scored a total of 19 points in two weeks. This team is supposed to be a super team. This team is supposed to be all in. Yet they somehow cannot get into the end zone. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers came off their bye after they had just lost to New Orleans and again struggled on the road and lost to a somewhat listless Washington football team. And Taylor Heineke, noted Buccaneers killer, lit them up again. The Arizona Cardinals had one loss. Now Colt McCoy, back at it again at the quarterback position, gets the doors fucking blown off by the Carolina Panthers, rejuvenated from Cam Newton's return, and beat the living daylights out of that team in Arizona, 31-3. The Green Bay Packers' bad loss was back in week one. And I don't know about you guys, but I don't really take anything that happened in week one very seriously. The Buffalo Bills lost at home to the Pittsburgh Steelers. The... Arizona Cardinals blew out the Tennessee Titans. The Cardinals blowing out a team isn't weird given how good they are, but the Titans, who to me look like the best team in the AFC by far, just given their wins, that's weird. Weird shit happens all the time in week one of the NFL season. The Packers had their clunker then, and if it wasn't for Aaron Rodgers' positive COVID test, Green Bay would have the best record in the NFL, not just the NFC. And Green Bay has a real defense. And it's time that everybody starts realizing that this Packer team is a level up from last year. It's two levels up from 2019. And if you don't realize that now, get going. Get on board. Everything is starting to kind of come together. You're seeing Barstool Big Cat, a.k.a. Dan Katz, who I love, one of my favorites. Tweeting about how good the Packers are. And he's officially worried about the Packers. It's about that time of year. It's about that time of year that we get excited. But for the first time ever, I really think there is a true swagger about the Green Bay Packers. That hasn't really existed in the LaFleur era. And really in the McCarthy era besides the Super Bowl run in the playoffs. That team had a swagger about it. That team had an attitude. They were untouchable. They were like, you can't fuck with me at all. There is nothing you're going to do against me. 
And Green Bay didn't really hit that God mode until the Aaron Rodgers masterpiece against Atlanta, which will forever go down as one of the best football games I've ever watched in my life. That's when Green the that's when the flip switch and Green Bay realized that this team is really special. It t- did take that long, trust me. It took a while for Green Bay to get there. You could argue the Giants game where Green Bay, you know, found basically the lightning in a bottle and started the whole run. And only because Deshaun Jackson had the miracle in the Meadowlands are we even talking about the Packers Super Bowl. As crazy as that fucking sounds. There is a great what if if that punter does not punt directly to one of the best punt returners in the game. What happens next? We'll never know. But Green Bay never had that swagger again. 2011, their team was 15-1. and They had one of the best offenses that any of us had ever seen. But Green Bay could not stop a goddamn Colt. Green Bay's defense were three blind mice out there. And they were waiting to get exposed. And Romeo Cornell drew up the playbook that basically shut down that Packer offense. And there wasn't much left. Then, as years went on, it was always questions about the defense. And Mike McCarthy let Dom Capers hang on too long. When when Colin Kaepernick lit the Packers up, Dom Capers should have been on the next ticket out of fucking town. He kept his job for five more years. And people can say, oh, fire Capers was cliche, but it was the fucking truth. And I do think with maybe a better defensive coordinator... And a better unit, Green Bay doesn't lose 2014 with the Russell Wilson dramatic comeback that started it all for Russell Wilson. Actually, that was their second Super Bowl, let the record show. But still, it was torment for the rest of the way. And the swagger just was never really there. I can always remember my roommate Seth at the time saying, "We the Packers need more guys that look upset that their Cheerios got pissed in. Packers have so many of those guys right now. And it does start with this defense. And we're going to talk a lot about the defense today. But the defense is one of the best in football. And again, I think people are two, are, are like two weeks from really saying that. And it might take the Rams game. Because yet again, Matt Stafford did not win a big game. Yet again, Matt Stafford got small when it mattered the most. I told you guys this. I said it all fucking summer and nobody listened to me. When I told you that Matt Stafford was this guy, I told you that he was Southern Carson Palmer, but no one wanted to listen to me. All right? And that's okay. That's all right. It happens. Sometimes I have takes that are a little out there, but I knew who Matt Stafford was. I've played against Matt Stafford. Not really, because I'm watching on my couch, but it feels like it. And to go back to the Green Bay Packers, their defense is so good. What they did to Kyler Murray, to Russell Wilson, to Patrick Mahomes is nothing short of incredible. And you can say, well, Mahomes, he was off, whatever. Look, the next fucking week, Granite controlled stadium in terms of weather, But Mahomes lit it up for 400 yards and five touchdowns. You cannot tell me that this defense just found a rabbit in its ass. They didn't. They are a legitimate threat. 
we were worried about this time of the season when you had Arizona, Kansas City, Seattle. It's like, well, we'll be lucky to win two games. They did, and they probably win the third if Rodgers doesn't have COVID. They probably light up Kansas City in that game. And yet, the defense is the reason. And every team that has to face Green Bay going forward has to be thinking, oh shit, I have to deal with this defense, and this defense is a motherfucker. And they can really ball out at all levels. Kenny Clark, Dean Lowry are playing great up front. TJ Slayton, I think, is a dude. I really do. He might be replacing Kensley Kike. I like what Kike does. And that's what the thing, the Packers are so deep. They had 32 pressures. 32. That's absurd. And it felt that way when I was at the game. It felt like every time Russell Wilson went back, Green Bay was in his kitchen. That's an incredible feeling. And this Green Bay Packer defense is the best in football right now. I I don't know. I, how can you argue anybody else? I, I know that there are bigger names and every and there are just notable teams. Maybe the Patriots. Patriots might have a better defense than the Green Bay Packers. I think Carolina has a really good defense. I, the Saints do as well. I, I think those are some of the teams that I would throw out there. The Bills, kind of. But again, I, I don't know. I Yeah, Bills, I think, would be way up there too. So those are all different defense. But does anyone have the kills that the Packers do? Does any other team have sort of the defensive accolades as the Packers do? Maybe Tennessee, right? As crazy as it sounds. But the Josh Allen game was a shootout. Josh Allen still went off there. And then they were able to shut down Mahomes. They were able to shut down Matt Stafford. So they have a couple. But it's really hard to picture a team that has done as well as the Green Bay Packers defensively. Especially with all the injuries they've had. But I think that is second nature. Joe Barry, Joe Barry deserves a ton of credit for what he's done with this Packer defense. Because he's revitalize them and for the first time since the 90s it really does seem like Green Bay has a true defense and to complete the picture to complete being the best team in the NFL offensively Green Bay is going to need to get rolling a little bit I still think it's coming David Bakhtiari hopefully back next week does help Green Bay that they get to play inside the dome at Minnesota a little controlled environment for the Packers, I think this is their first dome game of the season, right? I don't think they've played inside a dome for the entire year, which is kind of crazy considering how many places have retractable roofs, how many places have, you know, a full dome. Yeah, so this will be Green Bay's first, and they will likely benefit off that. Rodgers has enjoyed playing there. I know he's had some bad moments there, but last year it was an absolute shit pumping by Green Bay. I know those Minnesota fans will be hungry. Minnesota fans know there's a chance for the playoffs. But I do think the Green Bay Packers will want to shut that door. They will want to shut up Minnesota. They will want to make things end very quickly for them. And Green Bay's offense can get going. I think Aaron Rodgers did not really practice with the team. I think that left things a little bit uneven. Rodgers wasn't that crisp. I think if the Packers would have lost, there would have been so much criticism against Aaron Rodgers. 
But I, I really think a lot of that has to do with he probably didn't practice a ton with COVID. And he's a little off. I expect a lot better against Minnesota next week. And I think they this offense can still put up 30 points. You get Bakhtiari back. You get Aaron Jones back. I think A.J. Dillon right now might be the dude. Like I think he might be bigger deal than Aaron Jones. I like Aaron Jones a lot, but A.J. Dillon looks like an absolute man right now. And you ride that snowplow for the rest of the season. Because it's not only going to get colder, it's only going to hurt more to, to tackle A.J. Dillon. And he's going to bust some big ones. And he had a massive game again. And this this team does have the potential to break out offensively. But right now with their defense, and when you watch everybody else around the Green Bay Packers, it's pretty evident they're the best team in the NFC. They might be the best team in football. And it could be a very, very special winter and start of 2022. All right, let's move on to star ratings. I mentioned A.J. Dillon for a little bit. I cut myself off. I was like, all right, let's just talk about it here. Let's finish the monologue. Let's do Let's do the thing. Like, Keep on track. A.J. Dillon, definite five-star. I thought he stepped in wonderfully for Aaron Jones. I think A.J. Dillon is the lead back of this team. I realize he will not be. I realize it will always be Aaron Jones. But when A.J. Dillon is in the game, I feel so much more confident because the way he just bruises dudes is so impressive to watch. We It was near our end zone when he carried Bobby Wagner into the end zone. A.J. Dillon was stopped, and he basically used his legs to drive himself into the end zone. It was extremely impressive to watch, especially considering who he was going up against. It wasn't some scrub. It was Bobby Wagner, one of the best to ever do it. And A.J. Dillon was dragging him around like a ragamuffin. That is impressive stuff. And I do think A.J. Dillon is going to have a couple really big moments if Aaron Jones is out for multiple weeks. I actually think you keep Aaron Jones out for the Rams game. I know he's going to want to play. But I think you keep him out for the Rams game with the bye next week to preserve Aaron Jones. So yes, Dylan, first five-star. We have a lot of other five-stars. We have Adrian Amos as well. Man, what a game from Amos. Amos is on fire. And a lot of the reason why I think the Packers secondary has been so good is because nothing in the middle is getting past either Amos or Darnell Savage. And we, we need that to continue. And those guys were so good down the stretch for the Green Bay Packers last season. There's no reason to think they can't do it again. And Amos Amos is doing it right now. I mean, the interception he made was so impressive. And then he had a couple knockdowns. He almost had another interception in the end zone. He's just kind of playing out of his mind. And this is something that Green Bay always wanted out of their safety unit. This is why they signed Adrian Amos. This is why they drafted Darnell Savage in the first round. They thought that they could have a really strong defensive backfield. And Amos and Savage are both showing that right now. Also, another five stars just being at Lambeau. So I was at Lambeau Field. That's why we didn't have a podcast yesterday. Got home late. I just had no energy to tape a pod. And then I tried to do it at lunch and it just did not work. I don't know why, but whatever. Lambeau Field is always going to be a great experience. Don't don't ever get that twisted. 
And the minute you don't want to go to Lambo is the minute that maybe you're less of a sports fan. I'm not saying not sports shaming anybody, but if you don't want to at least go to a Packer game and you haven't been to one in a while, that that's weird. That's always always going to be weird. So take advantage of those games. And I love the weather. I was so excited to get up there, walking around. Went to Kroll's. Not like a per usual thing. I was because we we just kind of meander where it makes sense. But the way we structured it, we didn't pay for parking. Thirteen rows up. Shout out to Pat for those seats. They were great. It was it was such an awesome time to be back at Lambeau Field, and I never really take them for granted. I've been blessed to go to pretty much a game a year for gosh probably six years, seven years. It's been, I'd have to look back, but it's it's been one a year pretty much for the last few. And I'm very blessed for that. And I, I feel very grateful. And may you all get that opportunity to have one game a year up at Lambeau Field because it's, it's truly special. It's, it's such a great, such a great day. And, and the other thing too, like really quickly before I go to four stars, you don't have to be drunk for it. I don't understand. I was thinking about this a lot when I was, and I am not trying to be a narc here, but I was thinking about this and I was like, why would you get fucking hammered at a Packer game? Why would you waste all this money to go get drunk inside a stadium? Because it just doesn't make a ton of sense to me. It really doesn't. I, not trying to be a narc, whatever, have a good time, have a few beers, but... If you're wasted, again, not a sports fan. Just just not. We'll talk about some other non-sports fan shit uh, later in the show. But we'll go to four stars. I mentioned the pressures. I mentioned the Packer pass rush. Deserves to be mentioned. Again, definitely four star. That pass rush was very impressive. I think the only reason why I didn't go five stars there is because they weren't able to bring down Russell Wilson a couple times. He is... Very slippery and got out of some ridiculous situations, which is not surprising. I also want to give a four star to the Packer offensive line. They played really well. They kept Aaron Rodgers upright. He only took one sack. They had two holding calls. I thought one was legit. I didn't see the second one. It's a little too far away from where I was sitting. I saw the first one clear as day. People were like, How could you go all in the center? I'm like, Well, he's out and he's preventing that guy from going forward. So that's it's a hold. Uh, but. Anyways, I thought the Packers' offensive line played really well. Uh, I thought this was one of their better games of the last, gosh, three weeks, four weeks. Like, they struggled against Washington. They struggled against Arizona. They struggled against Kansas City. So, really, this is like week four of that sort of bad stretch. And now it's likely that David Bakhtiari is going to return to the offensive line. Uh, No word on that, but... Bakhtiari was doubtful last week. I would assume that they're going to have him ready for the Rams, either, well, maybe the Rams game or the Vikings game. I think any one of them is important after it's one game that the offensive line played well. It's not to say that they can just immediately, everything is fixed and Royce Newman hasn't been a problem for weeks and Lucas Patrick hasn't shown some real issues at center. I mean, he still had some problems. He had some snapping issues. So I do think that Green Bay needs to shake up that line whenever 
patch or whenever Bakhtiari, excuse me, is ready. And then once Bakhtiari is ready, then it's go time. Um, then it's absolutely go time. It's let's configure this line to get the best guys out on the field. I think that is the big sort of thing that's hanging out there. I think my personal opinion, which I've said a few times on the show, is Bakhtiari, Jenkins, Patrick, Runyon, and Billy Turner. And that would be my offensive line. We'll see if Matt LaFleur and the Packers agree with me. I do trust that whatever Adam Stefanczyk says is probably going to be the right thing. He's a really good coach. So I'm going to trust him. And if he tells LaFleur, this is what our offensive line should look like, he's probably going to know his shit. Three stars, Devondre Campbell. I thought this was kind of not a great game from Devondre Campbell. Devondre Campbell has had so many good games for the Green Bay Packers, so I don't want to be too critical because Campbell's just been a beast for the team all season. But I did think that he had some issues in this one only because Gerald Everett seemed to always be open. Like It seemed like the flat was always there for Green Bay, or for Seattle, excuse me. And I know that they played a light box. And I know part of the reason why was to prevent the deep balls from Russell Wilson. So you wanted them to throw to Gerald Everett. So maybe that was part of the plan. But it didn't feel like Campbell was anywhere close to Everett. And I felt like if it's the flats, your middle linebacker should be there. And maybe that's just a scheme thing that I'm not familiar with. Since I'm not in the locker room or anything like that. I'm not in the planning stages. But giving up free yards to the tight end feels wrong to me. And Tyler Conklin is a decent tight end who for Minnesota, as he was filling in for Irv Smith, I don't know if you want that check down all the time. Like I know Minnesota might take it and maybe Russell Wilson should have took it even more. And maybe that would have changed philosophy. But Gerald Everett, to me, got open a little too much. And so whether that's on Campbell to kind of shut down the flats or somebody else. I'm going to put it on Campbell, um, but it easily could have been somebody somebody other than Campbell's assignment. Devontae Adams is also on that list for three stars. I thought Devontae kind of disappeared in this one. Um, you know, seven catches, 78 yards is pretty damn good, but he also just had moments where he wasn't getting the ball. So I don't know if that is... The Seattle coverage, I don't know if that is Aaron Rodgers not looking his way. It felt like Aaron and Devontae weren't necessarily on the same page in this game. And that's weird. Um, They've been on the same page most of the last few years. I didn't really feel that way in this one. And, you know, again, it's they didn't practice all week. Now, these guys don't need practice. But I do think when you're talking about looks, it helps to sort of scheme out what you plan to do against Seattle. And Rodgers and Adams did not necessarily seem on the same page. I should also point out that Aaron Rodgers had a couple balls that were catchable if Devontae Adams were, you know, if it were, you know, at his chest. Um, he Rodgers had a couple bad throws to Adams. So that does factor in. But it really wasn't the most standout game from Devontae Adams. You know, Devontae considers himself a top receiver and 7 for 78 isn't bad it's nothing to shake your dick at but it just he didn't make any impactful plays I think that's the thing he had one that was close where he had a slant route that if he doesn't get tripped up he's probably into the end zone but that was the only one that was like almost there from an impact play so yeah he had a good game but nothing impactful 
that's where you land at the three star. Aaron Rodgers gets a two star for me. Look, Aaron Rodgers is a great quarterback. Aaron Rodgers doesn't need practice, but it's pretty clear that Aaron Rodgers was off all game. Um, it just a lot of missed opportunities. You know, he had a past MVS that hit, but if he would have let MVS a little further, that would have been a touchdown. He had a play to Alan Lazard that hung up. That if he just hits Alan Lazard right away, that's a touchdown. The Josiah Deguerra interception. Degura is wide open. If Rodgers slings that in there, that's a touchdown for Degura. Now, I don't know. Maybe Degura drops it, whatever. But Aaron Rodgers needed to be a little more crisp in this one. And he felt he's definitely feeling the effects of not probably playing or practicing for two weeks. I mean, COVID's, you know, a real thing. We know this. And it's a sickness. And you're kind of down. And so Rodgers probably didn't practice a lot, probably didn't train a ton. I'm sure he lost a little bit of weight. Like, I expect him to be a lot better against Minnesota, and I kind of ex- see this as more of a fluke. I understand that some people are going to invoke, like Cam Newton and others, who've had COVID and struggled a few weeks after the fact. I, I'm not, I'm not there yet. Um, I think we need to see Rodgers against Minnesota before we start like worrying that that is a real concern that he's dealing with some COVID after effects because. That, to me, is too hard um, to, to determine at this point. But yeah, I thought Rodgers could have been a lot better in this one. And if Roger is, Rodgers is a little bit better, this is even more of a blowout than this game was. I get no Make no mistake about it. This game was a blowout. Like 17-0, I know, isn't a huge margin of victory. But it it really felt like more of like a 31-0 game. And Green Bay could have had that if... Aaron Rodgers was a little bit sharper out there. So that's a bummer. But, you know, it's, it's game after COVID. It's you, you had no practice at all. You have, you, you've seen these looks in Zoom, but it's a little different on the field. It's not the same. So Rodgers definitely should be back to where he was, you know, at the start before the COVID diagnosis uh, when they take on the Minnesota Vikings next week. My one star is Mason Crosby, man. I I don't know. I don't know how much longer Green Bay can go on with Mason Crosby as their kicker. I think there has to be some real conversations there. I know he's a lifelong Packer. I know he's done a lot for the community. I know he's a captain. But at some point, we got to look in the mirror. And we have to look in the mirror and say, what can Mason Crosby do for us? Or is there someone else around the NFL that could potentially be better than Crosby? I think that's the question the Packers have to ask themselves. And if the latter exists, then Green Bay needs to move on. I am not going to have Green Bay's Super Bowl season end because Mason Crosby can't hit a field goal or because the long snapper, uh, holder, and kicker are not on the same fucking page, which was again a problem for the second straight week, it felt like. You had Steve Wordle out on the sidelines practicing his snaps with Baroquez, which really I've seen in high school, but I've never really seen in the pros where these guys are working on their snaps. And I don't know if Wordle has the yips. I'm not sure. You know, Hunter Bradley wasn't consistent enough, but what's Wordle? I think they're going to have to figure this out sooner rather than later. Melford did say, well, the production was good. He's right. The production kind of figured itself out, but now... You need the unit, and I—I I don't think they were gonna—they'd release Mason Crosby, 
But I, if it continues, you have to at least take a long look and think through potential, potential, you know, pivots and what could they, what could they pivot to versus the Silver Fox because he looks looks a little washed, and I would imagine that this might be the last year of Mason Crosby. The last one star goes to Chatty Packer fans. So I, as I mentioned, I was at the game. I, I enjoyed my time. I loved it. But sometimes games can be disrupted by the people you sit with. Uh, for example, I was at the Marquette game last night, and I sat with a bunch of friends, and there was really no one around us. It was really great. It was awesome. It was an enjoyable time. I had fun. I talked enough, but I didn't, not every time a possession was on the floor, people were talking. The guy in front of me uh, yes, on Sunday was one of the more obnoxious Packer fans I have dealt with. Now, he wasn't like a doom and gloom Packer fan, not a pinhead at all, but everything was a fucking conversation with him. My wife was like, hey, or he asked my wife, he's like, hey, is it all right if we stand? And my wife's like, as long as I have a pocket. And she just wanted to make sure she could see the game. You know, we didn't pay for these, but she wants to enjoy the game. She's a football fan. And then he kept bringing up this pocket, and it was like, he did some sexual stuff, and it's like, bro, what the fuck are you doing? Like, you're 40 from Horicon. You're a football coach. Like, I'm sure I could easily find out who you are. Not that I care that you were making sexually suggestive comments to my wife. Not, like, to him. Like, he was making me to her or whatever. It's like, yeah, dude, like, settle down. Like, this is not something that you should be talking about. Like, we can we can have conversation. We can talk about the game. But not everything needs to be a conversation. And he was chatting up the sixth grader. And I think he's like, want to look like the cool guy. And like, sixth grader was, was sweet. But I think the sixth grader just wanted to watch fucking football. And now this guy keep talking. And then you had a, a, a couple, couple from Texas who was next to him. Who he was talking to like they were best friends. The people in front of him were uh, two friends from Texas. It's like... You don't need to have a fucking round table. Like, we're in the red zone. Why are you fucking talking? And then there was like a fourth down where he was like on his phone. And it's like, you're a big Packer fan, but you need to check your phone on a fourth down? Like, come on, man. Like, I, I understand if you you do, you look at your phone on a first, first and 10. Like, whatever. First and 10 from the 15. Get it. But it's fourth down. Like, why are you on your phone? I don't know. He just rubbed me the wrong way. And he got a little bit better in the second half. But it is what it is, man. You can't control who you're with. I'm glad it wasn't some obnoxious Seahawks fan. Because I've dealt with those. Not necessarily. See, well, I think two years ago, we went to a Seahawks game, gosh, five years ago, four, six years ago, maybe even seven. And we had Seahawks fans all around us. And they weren't bad. But it wasn't that fun to like cheer because there was no one to really high five and there was no conversation because everybody sort of hated each other's guts. It's better to have at least a couple Packer fans around you, but you don't want the guy who insists on talking throughout the entire game. Just shut up. It's okay. We can let it breathe, all right? We can watch a couple couple downs before you need to tell the fucking sixth grader he had great insight when it's just simple shit or he's repeating what I said uh, right next to him. Also, this isn't one star. This should probably have been that five star. 
I love the fact that we sat, we stood for a lot of the game. There was a lot of the game where we were standing. I really like that. I think that's a change from what it's been. Um, no olds yelling at us to sit down or anything. So that Aaron Nagler sweatshirt's a little weird. But I guess maybe it happens at other parts of the stadium. Yeah, no one told us to sit down. It was great. Um, so kudos to everybody there for standing. Just wish they talked a little bit less. All right, let's ride out of here with Marquette. I mentioned this at the start that Marquette's game against Illinois kind of made me fall in love with college basketball again. More so Marquette. I was pretty apathetic about Marquette. I think I've talked about my apathy towards the Marquette Golden Eagles in podcasts before. Um, Steve Wojciechowski really sort of ruined that experience. And Steve Wojciechowski sort of took me out of a Marquette fan because I was a diehard. I mean, the, right before Wojo, I think I was Marquette was probably my number two in terms of teams I wanted to see win a championship over the Bucks, over the Packers because I'd already seen one. Over you know, it, they were the team for me because they got close. They got the Sweet Sixteens. I also saw what the Badgers were doing and they got close. And so I was like, all right, this is the team I want to see succeed. But then Wojciechowski came in and it just kind of was the same thing over and over again. And you made the tournament twice, but you lose in the first round, get your ass kicked in both games. Like it's not even close. Like had Marquette lost in the first round, but it was a buzzer beater at the very end. It's like, or like they lost by three. It's like, well, what can you do? You know, that's an either, either or game, but that didn't happen. I mean, they would have made a tournament a third time had it not been for the pandemic. But still, it was not really that fun of an experience. And Marquette felt so uptight. It felt like they had a stick directly up their ass. It felt like we were watching this sort of clean-cut, crisp basketball team versus a team that just wanted to have fun and had a little bit of hot piss to them. Shout out to Matt LaFleur. And that's what Shaka Smart brings. And you watch Shaka on the sidelines. You watch him coach. You watch him floor slap. And his emotion is infectious. His energy makes you want to cheer for this team. And so even though there's not a lot of guys that people know out of this Marquette team, this Marquette team is completely made over from last year, which I think makes it a little more difficult. There isn't the Dawson Garcia to cheer for. There isn't a Jamal Kane. No, there isn't. There's just not. There's no Theo John. There are not guys that we were all familiar with the last few years. This is a complete makeover. And so when you make over a team, it's sometimes hard to get on board. It's sometimes hard to really sort of be cued in at all times. And I'll admit I didn't do that great of a job covering Marquette in October. I should have been a lot more nose to ground, doing some previews, having some conversations, and I didn't do it. And I think because my apathy towards the team, it's not that I didn't trust Shaka. I really love the Shaka hire. It was more, I just did not necessarily have the emotion towards this Marquette team. This fandom, I guess, would be the best way to describe it. But when you were in the stadium last night, which was really loud, I don't know how many people were there, probably 15,000, maybe a little less, a little more. 
It was great. The energy was fucking awesome. And everybody wanted that team to win. And they were down 10 with about 10 minutes left. It didn't look like they were going to win this game. It was like, all right, whatever. It's fine. You played Illinois tough. Illinois is a top 10 team. And they kept fighting back. And now I still think their ceiling is the NIT. If they get the NIT, it's a great accomplishment for Marquette. But they can get to the tournament. They can at least be a bubble team if they keep forcing turnovers like this. Like, this was some havoc shit. This is what we saw from Shaka Smart at his first job at VCU. This is back. I was telling uh, Sam who I was sitting with, I was like, he was wondering why they weren't pressing in the second half. I was like, they're not ready conditioned yet. Give it a month and a half, and I think you're going to see the press in the second half. But right now, they're not entirely there yet from a conditioning standpoint. So I really do think this Marquette team has a chance to be, I wouldn't say special, but maybe frisky and and good enough to watch every game. Now, it's going to be really hard for them to go to Old Miss or play Old Miss in a uh, holiday tournament. Uh, it's the Charleston Classic this, this coming weekend. And they're going to have to get rid of the hangover of beating a team like Illinois. Thankfully, it's on Thursday. You have a couple days to relax. But they they can't necessarily you know, rest on that. And they might. And they might get blown out by Ole Miss. And it's like, okay, well, one game good and one game bad. Because that's just, that's just college kids. They, it's hard for them to keep that sort of same mental focus. Might help that you're not playing at home and you don't have the home crowd, so the expectations might be a little bit lower. Marquette fans travel great, so you, I'm sure you'll have a lot of Marquette fans there. But at the same time, it, it's going to maybe help a little bit that they're able to get on a plane, you know, get the distraction sort of out, flushed out, and do your best against Ole Miss. But yeah, I'm back in on this Marquette team. I'm back in. I have to be. How can you not? How could you not watch this game and be like, all right, this is what you want to see from your college basketball team. And this is something that makes you want to cheer for the Marquette Golden Eagles. It is an injection of new life. And Shaka Smart deserves all the credit for that. And I thank him for bringing me back to college basketball. All right, that does it for our show. Uh, we might do Mitch tomorrow. I haven't talked with him yet. Um, so we might have to have him the keg tomorrow. Uh, if we do, I will let you know. And then podcast the rest of the week. So sorry that we didn't get one out on Monday. Um, sorry this is a little late, but we still got it to you. Uh, we will try to grind. Holiday is always tough for me. So I, I'm doing, doing my best with my work schedule uh, in front of me. All right, take care, guys. Have yourself a great Tuesday. We'll be back tomorrow. See you. Bye.